If someone who makes more money than me tells me to do something, I just blindly do it. There's a stage in business where you have to take any client. So there is a stage where, unfortunately, you have to deal with it. In my opinion and what I've earned and done myself, an information business is the fastest and easiest way to make a lot of money. Open day trading account, put 500 pounds in. And over the next four, five, six months, I took that up to like eight, nine, ten. The more money you get, the less you want to buy stupid shit anyway. It's just as easy to sell a deal for 100k as it is to sell something for 200 dollars i'm just so terrified of ever being broke again because being broke is very painful i actually took all of the money that was left apart from 500 pounds and i spent it all on education i recently trying to buy an apartment here in dubai the estate agent that was trying to help me find one sent me a listing one day one of the images on the listing was the exact same one on my vision board from two years ago if you've got a skill or some specialist knowledge you can sell that through a course, through an online coaching program. Debt is risk. You do not own your property. The bank owns your property. If you disagree with that, don't pay three mortgage payments and see what happens. And we are back with the Frankie Lee podcast. And today, guys, I am bringing you another barnstormer, something that is going to be very actionable in your life and your career. This man here has gone from £6,000 in the bank seven years ago living at his mum's house, trying to establish a music career. He's gone from that to, in seven years, building and exiting an education company for multi-millions of pounds and scaling that to a million a month. William Brown, welcome to the show. Awesome to be here, man. Mate, I appreciate you coming. It's been a, it's been a long time coming for, for, for this kind of conversation because, I, you know, you know I love actionable content. I think having someone like you on the podcast that's, that's totally relatable, that's come from come from essentially nothing and, and built its way up the way that you have over a long period of time is very valuable to this audience. So let's just take it back so that people have context because I want people to have context into where you've come from, not just think that it's all sunshine and rainbows in business on the other end of the scale. So you were, you were, you were based in England, north of England, trying to establish this music career. Just walk me into, into your life back then and how it's changed uh, over these years. Yeah, for sure. So music was kind of my first proper career, right? So it was the first thing that, that kind of worked for me. I'd failed in, in the past. I tried to start, you know, I tried selling skateboard videos and I was young. <laughs> didn't really work very well. I tried uh, starting a graffiti magazine. Didn't really work very well. Valuable lessons kind of learned from both of those kind of tiny en- endeavors. But yeah, music was my first ever kind of proper passion. I went doing it for very young, buying records, DJing with my, my friends. But I wanted to kind of make it a career. And I, I kind of weirdly believe that that I could. I've always had this weird, massive belief in myself. I've always thought to myself, if I want to do something with enough time and work and effort, I can, which which has been very, very valuable. Because originally it was based on nothing, like no results, just blind hope. And blind faith, yeah. Blind faith, basically. But yeah, with music... Um, I, where, where should I start? I mean, I started DJing when I was like 16, 17, 18. Started making music from my laptop at home when I was about 19. Uh, went to university in Manchester to study audio engineering. And the degree was pretty much bloody useless. But the experience in Manchester was awesome because I got to go and see my favourite DJs. DJ at my friend's nights, which kind of got me in clubs and you know, at least got me playing to people in, in, in clubs, which was really valuable. And then uh, there was this record label that I really wanted to get signed to. So it was a label called Deep Medi Music, run by this really uh, awesome, famous DJ called Mala, who's a, who's a friend to this day. 
and I used to follow him around like in, like a bloody uh, I don't know. Whenever he was DJing in Manchester, I would like take I would stand outside the club and try and give him a record, you know. And um, I must have annoyed the guy so much. I think I, literally three or four times I was stood outside the club waiting for him, gave him a record, um, and then I didn't hear from him for about six, seven, eight, nine months. And I actually got a call one day from Mala. I was in my student home. You know, and I got this call and he was like, oh, Will, that record that you gave me, you know, six, seven, eight months ago, um, I've just kind of got around to listening to it. I really like it and I want to do a record on Deep Medi. And I was like, oh my, what? Like, oh my God. That was my biggest dream. Biggest dream in the world was to get signed to that label because it was the kind of label where when you get signed to it, you get an agent then and you can get a manager then and you can start doing fairly good shows and actually get paid a respectable fee actually back in 2011, 2012, um, that I got signed to, to Deep Medi. And yeah, got an agent straight away, got a manager straight away, started touring all over the world. Uh, but the money was not there. I was getting paid like 500 a show, 600 a show, DJing once, twice, three times a month. And it was great at the start. You know, it was like a dream come true to be paid to DJ all over the world. And, you know, the hotels are free, the flights are free, and you get to make money from, from your passion kind of thing but when I got older and my friends started buying houses buying nice cars money became a thing you know and when I when I was younger money wasn't a thing you know I was like let me just DJ and I live with my parents so there's no rent there's no bills uh, apart from you know my car loan and a girlfriend and a holiday here and there and stuff so money wasn't that important when I started DJing um, and then it became more and more and more important or at least in my mind so fast forward to when I was kind of 25, 26, um, I, the money was so sporadic. I mean, one month I'd make three, four, five grand, one month, one month I'd make zero, then I'd make one grand, maybe two. So like you said, I mean, I had very little money. I had six, seven, eight K to, to my name, no assets, no, you know, anything substantial. And I came home from a uh, tour once I remember this really distinctly I got home from a tour and there was like a trading documentary on on TV you know financial markets and it was following a few traders it was very kind of dramatized for TV so it was not it didn't paint a realistic picture of, of trading all of them were making money they were making it very easily very quickly from home and I thought oh my god this looks amazing this looks easy you know so straight on Google uh, opened a trading account put 500 pounds in and over the next four, five, six months, pure beginner's luck, I took that up to like eight, nine, ten grand. And I thought, this is easy. Trading is easy. I'm going to be a millionaire very soon. You know, I can kind of be selective with the DJ gigs because I was still DJing. And that was really my, my dream. My, my plan was to trade, make enough money to buy a few houses, rent them out, get one or two K in rent, and just enjoy doing music without having to worry about the income side of things that was my biggest dream and goal back then um so i started learning about property investment so that's kind of where i got that from i was like oh i could buy one or two or three houses rent them out that will give me enough to pay my bills and rent an apartment and move out of my parents place then i can just do music without having to worry about the money anyway so i grew this trading account thought i'd mastered it and uh, one day i took this massive loss i wiped like 70 percent of of, of the account I was long this market called called the DAX the German stock exchange and um yeah that loss was was 
heavy for me back then. Like that was, I couldn't, I stopped trading for three, four weeks. God, that was a, that was a, so, so, so essentially at that point you're not working within the rule set for your for your trading because obviously that trading has rules doesn't it I, I didn't have a strategy i was just messing around pure beginner's luck wasn't managing risk wasn't using a stop anything like that so the loss was going to happen you know I'm, I'm i'm just surprised it didn't happen sooner the loss was was going to happen it happens to all traders i know that now you know almost all traders will use beginner's luck or some rubbish strategy to grow an account. Eventually, they'll wipe it and they'll give up. That's what happens to most people. That's almost what happened to me as well. So I, like I say, I wiped about 67, 70% of the account, you know, whatever that was, seven grand, eight, eight grand, which to me was, might, have, might as well have been 80 grand back then, you know. And I crushed my hopes of how well trading was going. But I made one of the best decisions of my life. So I paused, like I say, I stopped trading for, for a few weeks. I actually took all of the money that was left apart from 500 pounds. So I left 500 in, took maybe two, three grand out. And I spent it all on education. So I hired uh, a couple of coaches. I worked with this mentor from a fund in New York called, called Zach Hurwitz. Um, I bought just bits and bobs like that. I knew that I had to learn to, to do it properly. So essentially then, you, you knew at, the, at this point that in order for you to grow, you had to invest in yourself. I just had to learn from someone that knew what they were doing because I didn't know what I was doing. I just proved that. You know, I'd grown the account by beginner's luck, almost wiped all of it. Thank God I didn't. And I think, I don't know where this, I'm just, I'm just thankful that I thought this, but I just thought the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I find someone who can do it and pay them to bloody help me. You know, so that's what I did. I found a, these two or three guys I bought a course and this guy Chris did some mentoring with this this trader Tom from a fund in New York, uh, in London uh, worked with Zach from the fund in New York and learned to build my own strategies across the next kind of six months to a year that's when things turned around and, and I became profitable okay on a very very small level by, by the way but nonetheless so at this point I've been trading for maybe two years and all I had I had this small Twitter account with maybe 300 followers 400 followers and I would just chat back and forth with other traders, my friends, share my trades, look at theirs to kind of stay occupied through the day. And again, at this time, I was doing music on the side, still DJing here and there and trading on the side pretty much full time. Uh, and again, still living with my parents, five, ten grand to, to my name, maybe a little bit more, but, but, but not a lot more than that. And one day, this guy, Wissam, one of my friends, messaged me on Twitter and he said, oh, you know, I've heard from like your cousin, Alan, that your trading's going really well. Mine is not going too well. Uh, we both live quite, quite close to each other. I think I was in a place called Clitheroe. He was in a place called Blackburn. And he said, if I PayPal you 50 pounds, could I come to your house and sit with you, watch you trade, and ask you questions and learn from you? I was like, hell yeah, no problem. You know, come over, come over on Thursday morning or whatever it was. And Wissam came over, we made a Word document together through through that morning and it just occurred to me I just thought this word document would anybody else kind of buy this so I started just messaging a few people on Twitter that, that I was chatting with and I just basically I mean I was doing cold outreach I didn't know what cold outreach kind of was back then but I would just message a few followers and say you know look if you're struggling me and Wissam made this word document and it shows you how I trade and how I build strategies and what I do what markets I trade blah 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 and a few of them bought it you know, and I made like 150 pounds, whatever it was back then, 200 pounds maybe. And 
that was actually the start of my e-learning company back then. And I, I didn't even know it at the time. It was completely organic, completely unplanned. And I guess I started selling my knowledge at that point, prompted by, by my friend with Sam and the other guys buying it. If they didn't buy it, maybe this never would have happened. But when they bought it, I thought, okay, Wissam paid me. These guys are buying this rubbish little two, three page Word document. For, I think it was like, it was 50 pounds or $50. Let's just call it 50 pounds. And I thought, this is just free money. You know, like if I could sell maybe five of these a month, I can make 250 pounds. You know, that's half of a DJ booking back, back then. It helps, it, anything helps, you know when I was in that position. So those few people started giving me feedback. They were like, oh, well, but how do you do this though? And could you put like an image in to show this? Because it was just text. So they, in a weird way, helped me find product market fit. And then as I made it better, I made it into like a, a PDF and then like an ebook and then an ebook with a Dropbox folder of, of uh, videos in it, slowly raised the price to, you know, 95 pounds. 150 pounds, 250 pounds, 495, blah, blah, blah. And people kept buying it, you know. And um, then I started a YouTube channel about six months later and just did the same as Twitter. Shared my trades on there, made little technique videos, tips and, and tricks and that kind of thing. Stuff that I'd learned. And that fueled the Twitter growth. And then I had more people to message on Twitter to sell the education too. And it all spiraled from there. I'm pretty sure, I think that was 2018. That that all happened, right? And that year, because I've always been big on on tracking things and keeping spreadsheets, I've still got the spreadsheet to this day of all the sales that I made that year. And I made about twenty seven thousand pounds from about April to the end of the year, uh, selling the word document and then the ebook and the PDF and the Dropbox folder of videos and and blah blah blah. And by the end of the year, I knew I was onto something because that I'd made a, a lot of money. Because obviously, essentially, at that time, you've gone from buying knowledge yourself, which has helped you, to selling knowledge that was helping other people. And so you, you're classing that as easy money because you're like, well, I get to help people, they get results, and I get paid. And, and I build it once, and I sell it 50 times. You know, that that com must have been like a penny drop moment. Well, oh, man, I can't tell you. Like, that year changed. It, it didn't change my life. But making, because don't forget, I mean, I was DJing at the same time. I was maybe making 20 grand a year as a DJ, I dare say, 25, maybe 30, 35 in a good year. So to make almost that again, you know, again, it was about 27,000 pounds that I made that year, 2018. So I'd made about 50 grand that year from music and from, from selling the education and my own trading as well. That was a bloody lot of money for me back then. Like, that was a lot of money. I used that. I bought my first investment property in 2019, this little house. It was like 52 grand, uh, a boy with cash. So that helped me start the real estate portfolio as well. Because don't forget, my dream was still buy two or three houses, rent them out and get two, three grand a month and DJ full time without having to worry about the DJ income because music was still my, my passion, my dream back then. But that changed fast. In, in, in 2019, things really started to ramp up with the trading education side of things. And I just, I kind of fell into this USP called mechanical trading. And no one was really trading in that manner. I'd, I actually learned it from one of my coaches and my coach had such a small following, such a small following. And he never scaled his business. 
So in a way, I kind of learned from him and took it in my own direction and scaled it. Um, and yeah, 2019, we rocketed up to, I think we did about 300 grand in 2019 pounds or thereabouts from the trading education. And that was it. You know, I, I knew that year, like, this is this is the thing that's, it looks like it's going to make me rich and and change my life. And it, and it has. And then obviously from from that point on, you go and scale that from 2019 to that education company doing near on near on thereabouts a million a month. Like what when you when you scale to that level in in this niche educator in education, you have to put in a hell of a lot of processes, sales processes. You have to learn learn how to structure stuff. Just walk me through. Um, firstly, well, actually, before we, before you walk me through the processes, can you walk me through some of the niches that people are in right now where they can start building their own educational products in? Because I think that's that's extremely useful because there's a lot of people listening to this thinking, oh, this is great for Will, like Will's done this. But, you know, who else could go out there right now who doesn't know it? They're, they're performing a task and, and start an education company. Give me a few examples. 100%. So nowadays, I've got a massive insight into this because I coach a lot of other e-learning companies that that teach so many different things man i mean i had coffee with a woman a few days ago bless her uh, she's making about fourteen thousand pounds a month teaching knitting right and uh some of my other clients i mean you know i've worked with some big fitness guys to help them teach fitness through online courses online coaching that kind of thing uh, one of my friends teaches how to stop drinking alcohol uh, another teaches how to basically make music and put it on uh, Spotify and stuff like that and, and scale that up pretty far. What else? Uh, drop shipping. A couple couple of my clients teach drop shipping. I've got, uh, well, I did have uh, another couple of trading clients as well that I've had to stop working with because of the, the contract from, from the selling my company. So I'm kind of not allowed to work in the trading education company now for, for a couple of years. But yeah, I've seen people teach, teach everything. How to, you know, how to do intermittent fasting. I've seen Scale to 20, 30 grand a month. Um, so, so essentially what you're saying then is if you are good at something, if you're a good practitioner of something, it can be taught, it can be put into a course, it can be put online. And what you don't perceive as valuable knowledge to you because you already know it is valuable to someone else and they will pay pay for it because they, 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 they want to get a result in their own lives, essentially. Exactly, exactly. If you've got a skill or some specialist knowledge, you can almost certainly sell that through a course, through an online coaching program, something of that nature. And again, I've seen so many things taught. Well, one of my friends is doing about eight fifty a month teaching how to not get divorced. Eight hundred and fifty k a month. Eight hundred and fifty k a month, um, or within that eight to nine hundred k a month bracket. Him and his his wife run that company, um, and it's for men or women on the brink of divorce. How to stop that from happening? basically and that they are doing massive numbers uh one of my friends teaches how to start a recruitment agency one of them teaches how to start a social media marketing agency kind of run people's ads for them and and make two three four five k a month he's doing monstrous numbers as well do you see online info education is the is is like the is the, is still a blue ocean there's still still room for people to do this without a doubt without with yeah w- without a doubt and people would, if if you've got if you've got a skill, normally, 
it kind of qualifies you to sell it if people are reaching out to you already asking you about it. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, right? You only need to be one or two steps ahead of somebody else to teach them. Let me kind of give you a tangible example. So let's take golf. I've never played golf, right? I hope not. I, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to start because I think if I start, I won't start. But anyway, so I've never played golf. I don't know about the clubs. I don't know where best to go and play. I don't know about the clothes. The I, I don't have a clue. So if someone was, let's say, on a scale of one to ten, Tiger Woods is a ten. I'm a zero. If someone was a three, if you were a three, you could teach me. You could say, you know, well, listen, I charge one, two hundred an hour. I will tell you what clubs to buy, where to play. We'll go and play together and I'll hold your hand and teach you how to do it. Now, you're not an expert by by any means. You're a three out of 10, right? But you can certainly teach me because I'm a zero, all right? If you were a five or a six and I was a three, you could add value for me as well and vice versa. And here's the thing. A lot of people, they don't want to be taught by a 10 because a 10 is too far ahead. They're too advanced. I'm probably too expensive as well. Um, So if you're a zero you're looking for a one or a two or a three to learn from, right? And the price will be fitting. Or if you're a three and you want to learn from a five or a six, again, you're going to learn different things and the price is going to be different. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, because you're not telling me that there's there's so many PTs in gyms all over the world. There's so many tennis coaches at health clubs that are not the most proficient in their art. They're, they're probably a three or a four on the scale. But if you're taking someone from zero to number two, number three, then they are the perfect fit to take that candidate. So essentially what you're saying is that anybody who's got a proficiency or a slight proficiency in anything can teach something to someone. It's just a, it's just a case of looking through the knowledge that you have and saying, what is it, what, what, am I, what am I best and most suited to teach someone else and how can I package that? So let's, let's pivot into the packaging of the information to make it valuable to the end user because obviously... You can't scale an education business to the level that you scaled it to if your clients aren't getting results as well. So it's, it, selling information, yes, but you've got to sell something that gives a tangible result. So how do you marry all that together and systemize that? Yeah, well, one thing that I will say is I was quite lucky with trading because, again, it happened by accident and it just happened to be a massive global market. Most people want to learn to make more money and most people at one stage in their life will consider trading so massive TAM TAM stands for total addressable market right? so a massive market to sell to so if you're in let's say trading you can scale very far I mean I know people within the trading niche that do a million a month two three four million a month selling trading education so massive market now let's take my my friend this woman that I had coffee with earlier this week knitting she I don't imagine she's going to scale knitting to two million a month. You know, look, who knows? I haven't done research into the market, but like you just said, it does matter. What it doesn't really matter, kind of how you how you're teaching it, because you can kind of make that fit the person and how they want to learn. You you come to that later, but the first thing to consider is how deep is the market and how quickly does it refresh? Are there constantly more people wanting to learn it? Or is it a small market? Golf. 
I don't know, it's probably a mid-sized market because not uh, most people kind of don't play golf. I, th- I think golf is, is a market that could be sections as well, like how to improve your swing, how to dress at the golf course, how to, you know, you could, there's loads of different tangible assets. But I think if you're talking about online education in any sense and the, the, the stuff that will always sell, it's health, wealth and relationships. They're the niches that you have to be in in order to scale to the numbers that you've scaled at from what I've seen and from the people that I know that that do really well. And I think that even though you didn't know at the time, you know, trading is is a way for someone to accumulate money which can go towards them creating wealth in their life. And I think that's why you kind of hit the jackpot with what you were doing. It was the right time, right place, not as much education in the market. But I think people have just got to look essentially what they've got what and see is anything that I do in my life tangibly having people request me all the time to teach me it? Yeah, another thing to keep in mind as well. So I'll, I'll give you another example. My little brother is a, a barber. So he works in a barber shop in, in the north of England. I, I won't kind of say kind of how much he makes a month, but you know, on the upper side of a standard income. And he came to me a few months ago. He was like, well, you know, I can see how much money you're making, how, how well you're doing. I want to sell education as well and do something similar, make the same money. But he said, I've only got one skill and that's barbering and I can't teach that because, you know, I mean, I can't do a barber course. Who's going to buy it? I can't charge very much. A guy that I met in a mastermind a couple of years ago, this guy, Daniel, he teaches barbering and he does about, at the moment, about a quarter of a million, well, I think he does a bit more now, about 350k a month teaching people how to become a highly paid barber. So my brother's first thought was, I can't do it. This is not going to work. I can't charge for my knowledge. On and on. Loads of negative thoughts. And most people have these. You know, there's probably people watching this right now that have some kind of knowledge, a skill. They're probably thinking, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I can't charge for my knowledge. Blah, 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 blah. You almost certainly can, you know. And uh, when I told Ollie about, about Daniel and how well he was doing, it's funny, my barber here in Dubai that cuts my hair, Learn from Daniel. He used to live in Ireland. He took Daniel's uh, How to Become a Highly Paid Barber program. Moved to Dubai. And he makes, like, a l- pretty good money. Like, you know, five five figures a month cutting rich people's rich people's hair. Kind of thing. And he, he bloody loves it. You know, uh, great life. Loves what he does. Makes awesome money. Yeah, so so it, it can be done. And, he, and essentially, he's bought the education and ex- execute on the education. I mean, I think it's important as well to say that by, by putting yourself in that space, you are putting yourself uh, at the behest of the people that come on your courses and people that do it, consuming the content and taking action on it. I mean, how difficult is that to manage? Because I read a statistic the other day that like 90% of people don't complete the courses that they buy. They When they buy a course or buy a piece of education or info product online, they think that that is the... That is the lesson, just buying it. They get the high from buying it. So how do you make sure that people take action on it and get the results? Because you need those results so that other people then buy it to feed into your marketing, to feed into your feedback loop, to be able to scale to the level you've got. So it's like there's a whole load of things to balance, not just saying I've got a skill and I can sell it. It's like there's hot to scale it, you have to be able to do that. So how do you put that together? Yeah, I mean, look, there's it's not as simple as just sell your knowledge and... and become a multi-bloody millionaire in six months like that is not true it takes time it takes work you've got to learn you've got to build you've got to you know build your audience and build your product and blah 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 blah. but you're asking this question at the right time so about 
probably about eight weeks ago when I was doing one of the final pieces of due diligence for the private equity firm that just bought my company. I was doing some customer uh, research with them and we were going through some individual customers to look at their course progress. You know, what videos had they watched? Had they watched them in full or not? Had they downloaded the, the resources and blah, blah, blah. And we logged into this one guy's account who'd bought our program for eight and a half thousand dollars, maybe four or five months prior and never logged in and never emailed support. And yeah, it just, it was just a moment of like, wow, people actually do that. You know, people will inquire about the product, love the product enough to purchase it, spend eight and a half thousand dollars and then forget about it, you know, and uh, the PE firm was like, is this normal? I was like, well, kind of, yeah. I mean, uh, probably, it's quite a small number. It's probably 5% of people that buy it and never use it. So it's quite a small number. But I would say probably 10, 15% of people buy it, watch every video, download every resource, attend the group coaching, attend the one-to-one coaching, put it into action, and really achieve great results, like standout results. Um, And then, you know, there's people that watch half and give up. There's people that you know, watch half and trade for two, three months and decide it's not for them and on and on. And I'm sure this is the same for everything. You know, I mean, um, I've bought fitness programs in the past. As you can tell, it didn't go very well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I've, I mean, I've hired PTs, paid a lot of money and thrown in the towel after six weeks and thought, man, I just can't, this now's just not the right time. You know, I've got yeah. things to do. I've bought, I've bought other stuff. I've bought, you know, back in the day, music courses to learn how to produce better music. And I use them for a few months and take some value. And then I'm like, you know what? I kind of don't need it anymore. So I, I can understand it. That's human beings for you. How does it, how does it, when you speak to these people that, have, that are going through this experience and they, and they, what kind of excuses are they giving you that they think are holding them back from completing what they're doing? Because I just want to, you, when you sell, sell online education, you're doing, you're doing sales calls with people. A lot of that is about the psychology of the human and actually understanding what they truly want. And then a lot of understanding why they're not doing the content when you provide them with every resource to do it. And they give you another pit of power of why they think they're not doing it. But that's not often the true psychology. So just can you break down the psychology that you've learned from the humans that you've spoken to on why, one, why they're not backing themselves and why they're not executing because they've because they'll tell you on a sales call that they want something and then not do it. I can certainly try. Yeah, this is why I love. I actually love doing sales calls and, and coaching calls because I love, firstly, understanding like why are you stuck? What have you tried? Why has it failed? That kind of, you know, the journey of learning skills and, and acquiring knowledge I, I, that just fascinates me. And I love solving the problem as well. I mean, I'm super, as you know, I'm super passionate about like building businesses and getting the numbers right and scaling and, and just every aspect. I just love business so much. But to give you a, an example, so as you know, I've kind of started coaching business owners over the last year-ish, and I've probably worked with about 60, 70 people so far. And this is one-to-one coaching with me on Zoom. It's like a training program, and then I hold your hand on Zoom. And I've had one refund. In, in, in all that time, just one. And it happened about three weeks ago. So I had a sales call with this guy and he was like, well, you know, I've got this idea for a, for, for a program. Uh, I think it was teaching. I can't remember what it was teaching now. So I, I won't say, I won't get it wrong. But he came to me, he was super pumped. He'd done, he'd made a few sales already on, on a small scale. 
And he was like, I'll, I know that you're the right guy to help me build it and scale it. And I was like, dude, this is a great fit. You know, you've got a great idea. You've, you've got the passion. You've got some capital. I, I, I could see the path so clearly. And uh, he came on board. He, he kind of invested in some coaching with me, made a start. And he watched about half of the program. And then he WhatsApp me and he said, Will, I think I've made a mistake. I, I need a refund, man. I've got to back out of this. I, I don't think I can do this. So I got on a call with him. And I said to him, you know, what's going on, man? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And he was like, oh, man, I just, it seems hard. And I've got to track my numbers and I've got to make ads and I've got to run them and I've got to make content. And I'm so overwhelmed. I, 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 I can't do it, you know? I'm just, I, so I just want to refund and, and keep doing what I'm doing with whatever day job he had. And it just fascinated me. I was like, dude, listen, it's hard. You're right. You've got to make ads. You've got to make content. You've got to build a program. You've got to do sales calls and stuff. But I've said to the guy, if you just do what I tell you, you will achieve your dream. You'll make a lot of money. You'll have a lot of fun. You'll help a lot of people. It's going to be awesome. He's like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. So I, I tried my hardest to mindset this guy up, you know, but I just couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't do it. And it, it annoyed me for a few days after. I was like, man, I know that I can help this bloody guy. But he just can't do it. You know, he just won't mentally make an ad, write a bloody ad and clone a funnel into ClickFunnels and write an opt-in, you know, and yeah, but I, it just kind of brought me to the conclusion, like, some people just are scared of maybe... Themselves, themselves. The, maybe themselves, maybe success. I, I, I honestly don't know. I wish I knew. Because if I knew... I'd make a mindset program and help even more people, you know. So I had a I had a, a call with a guy the other day for content removal. And he came to me and he said, I I saw that you got results for Mr. Hormozy because he put you on the story at the time. So he's followed me from the point of or followed content removal from the point when Alex Hormozy shared our content and said thank you for some work that we did for his company. He'd followed that. He'd also just been referred to me by two other clients, right, who said that he's just looked after our company for this, said looked after our company for this. He gets on the call with me, and at the end he says, he's, he's asking a lot of questions, and he's not sure, and he's saying, at the end he says to me, send me the invoice for the, for the amount, send me the invoice, and send me some more proof. And I said, and this is, I said, because I know this is going to be a bad client if I take this on in with, with unsure. I said to him, look, no, you go away and you find you come to terms peacefully in your head whether you want to be my, my client or not. And if I feel that we are a fit at that point, then then we can, then I feel free to invoice you. The reason I'm explaining that to all of you on this podcast is because from what I've learned from the client services space, similar to probably the online educational spaces, you do not want to take on headaches just for a quick bit of cash flow. Like, because that is way, because what's going to happen is client gets bad experience. You get hell on earth. You're, you're the biggest demon in the world. You've probably even delivered what you said you'd deliver and still they hate you. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't understand the psychology of that. Why you'd, why you'd even get to that point. But I think there's a, 
I think there's a lot of things that hold people back and it's all internal problems. And if you're sitting there thinking that you can't sell online education or that you can't scale your business or that you can't run ads, you get exactly what you tell yourself you can't do. Dude, 100%. I'll, I'll share another story with you. So about four months ago, I took on a client. I, I won't name her, but she's a, a well-respected kind of real estate uh, entrepreneur in, in England. Okay. And she came to me and she said, look, Will, I've learned how to source really high-quality property deals and, and sell them on and make a great uh, income. I took one client on to try and teach them and they made like 60 grand in, in the first four months sourcing and, and selling the deals all on my kind of teaching. So I want your help building a program. You know, I, I want to launch this, scale it and make this a real thing now. So again, took her on as a client. She's done super well. I mean, she's made like a quarter million pounds cash in the last three months through teaching this and, and scaling it. But the reason I bring that up is when we first launched it, we launched it through uh, her, her Instagram. And we launched it at £5,000 for the program for 25 people, right? And it was just no payment plans. It's like, look, it's five grand. Buy it or don't buy it. All right. And she had, uh, we very quickly sold all, all 25 spots. We sold them in like three, three four days and, and, and did really, really well. But there was this one woman that messaged her on, on Instagram and asked her like so many questions like, how does it work? Do you have a refund policy? How long have you been doing it? Do you have case studies? Can I speak to someone that's done it in the past? On and on and on and on and on. And I remember this, I was going to say a name then, but I remember this girl saying to me, Will, I've got this customer who really wants to buy it, but they will not give up. They want to have a Zoom call with me. They want to speak to my other client. They want to speak to people who bought it but not started the program and all this shit. I was like, this is not, this is someone that you shouldn't take on. You know, you should just politely say, look, I don't think you're a good fit. Best of luck. She took her on, right? Bad idea. Bad <laughs> idea. Bad idea. So she did these two groups. I think it was like, it was like 12, per, 12 people in this group, 12 people in, in this group, right? So two, two groups of, of people for the program. And almost straight away, this woman was like, there was like a, a Facebook group. And this woman was posting questions every day, commenting on other people, you know, posting like negative stuff and this doesn't work, that doesn't work. When are we going to learn this? You haven't taught us this yet. This is not working. Bloody nightmare. And then after two, three weeks, inevitable, she asked for a refund publicly in the group, right? And Liv is like, oh no, I've got this refund. You know, one person in, in, in all these people, everyone else is loving it, getting great results. There was people already finding deals. One had already been sold as well, so it was working. The program was clearly great, you know, as, as we knew. And Liv freaked out and deleted her refund post and then reached out to her, got her on a call and, and talked about the refund and, and blah, blah, blah. And in this group, a few other people had seen the post and the post disappears. And then a few of them were like, oh, what's going on? And it turns out this woman had messaged every other person in the group, started her own WhatsApp outside of the Facebook. And then this whole post thing, it was a bloody nightmare. Then we later found out she had this WhatsApp group with that group of people in. And then, you know, she was complaining, oh, Liv deleted my post and she's wait making me wait a week for a refund. And then the, a few of the other guys were like, right, we want a refund now as well. This blah, blah, blah. 
what a nightmare. So you, so you take on one bad apple into your into your business and it, and it seems and, and when I look through obviously I've been in the content removal game since 2017 when I look through my uh, list of clients I've gone through and all these and all these celebrity names I've looked after and massive corporations and everything else I look through it was in these moments where you take a deal and you're like I'll take that client on for two and a half grand. I've priced it low because they tell you, they, they give you some sob story or this, that, the other. Biggest waste of time you'll ever do is to take on clients that, you, one, you're already doing them a favor on the front end. If people can't pay your fees, work with you, fit within the realms or understand what you're offering and they don't have a clear question that is that is actually like valuable in terms of like okay i can understand why you've asked that then just stay away because you're just building yourself headaches and those headaches stop you scaling your brand and they cause you way more problems you know quick one for you guys this podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com as many of you are probably aware i set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content and I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it and I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts or anything online, go to contentremover.com and we'll help you today. I think uh, one of the most valuable things that I've learned is the higher the price, the better the quality of client. So, you know, whatever the industry, let's use trading as an example. I am so happy that there's people charging £200, £500, 900 pounds, whatever, and we're charging eight and a half thousand because all the, you know, the, the people like that woman, they can go and annoy those people for no money. You know, I'm going to stick with the guys that just willingly give 8.5 K and get great results because of it. Because those people, when you're putting that much money on the line, they take it seriously. They do the work, you know, they watch the content, they jump on with the coaches. It's, it's, it's just as much, it's just as easy to sell a, a deal for a hundred K 200k in one lump as it is to sell something for 200 dollars. like it's, it's it's the same it's the same conversation it's the same phone call it's the same like there's less objections the higher price point you go from from a sales point of view i've found we, we, we you know pe- people people that want to remove content people that want to learn trading people that want to learn um how to source houses really want to learn and that know that they don't have the knowledge to do what you're talking about doing, they will go, here's five grand, go and sort that out. Here's five grand, teach me that. And that's what they do. They don't mess around in this middle ground going, um, uh, questioning themselves because they have that. They, they realize that there's a knowledge gap. If, if you're earning 200K a year and you want to earn a million quid, your ignorance is costing you $800,000 a year. How do you close the ignorance gap between... 200k and 800,000 where you get some form of education you get some form of mentor you have to listen to podcasts you have to do something to close the gap you know what I mean and what you pay for your action dude the only I say this all the time the only reason I am here in Dubai where I'm at today is the mentors that that I've worked with and it's just obvious like I remember with the trading company you know 2018 we got started did okay 2019 it really started going well we did about 300k and December 2019, I saw a YouTube ad for a guy called Alex Becker. And back then, he was selling a, a program called Iron, which taught everything that he knew about YouTube ads, sales processes, and scaling up. And I, I, I remember I was in a hotel in London before a DJ set I was playing. When I saw the ad, I booked a call, took it, I think, on whatever day. The day doesn't matter. 
bought the program. That program changed my life. That program changed my life, man. Paid ads, like, thank God I bought that program, man. Thank God. That year, you know, we did about 300K the year prior, 2019. 2020, we did about 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 million. Just because of Alex and that education, you know, and it's just what I didn't know. I didn't know how to run ads. I didn't know how to build a sales process. I didn't know how to write a webinar. Right for yourselves. So you were doing hundreds of thousands by cold outreach and then you put this paid structure on the back end of it and you go to millions of pounds per year. Then you scale towards a million a month. How long of a time frame was that over in terms of that, that, that scale where you're going from like 300, 400 grand a year to millions a year to, to, to having a, a company that's now acquirable? Yeah, so 2020, I started Alex's iron program in january i remember that very clear i remember turning the ads on in january and when i turned the ads on very low ad spend we were doing like 10 11 12 13 x cash roi at very low scale then things started to snowball from there as we scaled the ads uh, like i say that year we did about 1.3 1.4 million the following in 2021 i moved to dubai in may and just as i moved to dubai we moved from a webinar sales process to a sales call sales process and we were doing about a quarter of a million a month that time where when we moved um so I, I remember that very clearly and i remember that because i was at a dinner once at this italian place in in the marina here in dubai and my friends couldn't believe that you know we were making sales automatically from the webinar in the background it was a great time such a great time before building a team but nonetheless we moved to a sales call process because um, I joined this mastermind called Quantum by this guy called Sam Ovens. And Sam Ovens had basically said, look, if you want to scale further, you need a sales team. You need to raise the price and build a sales team. So the same as I've always done, if someone who makes more money than me tells me to do something, I just blindly do it. You know, if they say, say to a sales team. I love that. I love that. Anybody that is bigger or better or richer than me, if they say jump, I say, how high? No problem. Should I jump here? Should I go out in corridor and jump? Should I jump all day? I just do what I'm told. And that has significantly changed my life. So that is a piece of value I want to share with, with any listeners here. If anyone beyond you says do something, just bloody do it. But anyway, so we moved to a sales call funnel and um, quickly, quickly grew from there. By the end of that year, 2021, we were doing about 400k a month into the next year things ramped up to when I sold the month that I signed the the LOI, the letter of intent, we did $824,000 um, and then sold. The, the, obviously, look, you've had to go through your company when obviously you decide, you decide to sell your company, you've had to, then you've had to go through the company and kind of find out things that you probably probably had to build differently like your your accounting system probably has to change because they probably weren't happy with that or other things have to change give give me a bit of an insight into how listeners can build something that is a saleable asset that that a venture capital or or some firm will look at to buy and acquire sure so one thing that i would say that i've learned that i didn't know actually before um before I, i learned this from one of my mentors I was in a mastermind back in, I think, 2021 with a guy called Dan Bradbury, a really 
popular high-level UK entrepreneur that's bought and sold a lot of companies. We were having lunch one day, just like, you know, like this. And he just said off the cuff, Will, when are you going to exit in, in the future? And I was like, I can't. It's an online course business. It's called, like, after my name. Um, I don't want to show my face, but it is my voice. I was like, I can't sell it. And he was like, yes, you can. You could sell it right now. The only difference is the buyer and the price. You know, so if your business is badly engineered and tied to you and your name, you're probably going to sell to a smaller buyer for less money. And if you build it to sell, you're going to sell to a better buyer for more money. Uh, again, thank God that Dan asked me that uh, at dinner, or maybe things could have been different, but I started asking him questions like, well, what do I do then? Do I change the name? Do I hire actors to take over to stop my voice and stuff? And do I, what do I do? And um, he just helped me make it saleable. So to, to make it saleable, I re removed myself from the business completely. So uh, I hired coaches to do the coaching. I hired a support team to do the support. I hired, I got off the phone because I was selling the product. So I got off sales calls. Um, I started hiring copywriters to write the email copy and the BSL copy and the sales script copy and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I put a sales team manager in place to manage the sales team because I was also managing the sales team. So I got out of that as well. Hired uh, a great bookkeeper that I hired actually way too late, but nonetheless, great bookkeeper, great accountant to manage all the financials and, and build the P&Ls and a balance sheet and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, just remove myself. And all that was left was uh, my voice in some of the paid ads and my kind of my name on the company because it was WB after me, uh, the name of the company. And that, that made it saleable, you know, and um, so... And how long did that process take you, start to finish? Um, it's about a year and a half. Yeah, it's uh, not. It's, it's not as simple as obviously. Like I know how you you talked about that structure. And it's not as simple as as just as just like you're not going to be able to do it in a month. Oftentimes, because essentially you've had to put sales team in, then put support staff in, and this other. And meanwhile, all 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 while this is going in, while you've got the trial and error. Because none of that works instantly when you put it in. So all while you got the trial and error going on, and you're inserting these people, and you're setting up an office, and you're doing all this, all while that's going on, you're still having to scale the number of what you're selling because you want to exit. Because you you've probably you probably wanted to reverse engineer the price as well what you're selling for, right? So you so did did you is that how you pick the number? You go to the price that you want to turn over and then reverse engineer back, or how did you put that together? Yeah, uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to sound really stupid and naive when I tell you this, but. Even approaching the time that I was going to think about selling, um, I didn't have a clue about multiples and, you know, how different types of business get different multiples, some higher, some lower. I just thought to myself, if I can sell for one year's net profit, then I'm kind of like buying myself a year back, you know, getting the money up front and then I can go and build whatever I want to build next. So I, with no knowledge going into the sales process, I wanted one year's net, so one X, one X net. Um, and then when it came to selling, the first thing I did was call Dan Bradbury. And I was like, right, mate, I'm ready to sell now. Can you please mentor me through the sale and help me? Then he taught me about multiples. Uh, then he connected me with an M&A advisor called Dominic, who fully assessed the business, went through all the P&Ls and what we do and how we do it and blah, blah, blah. And between them, they suggested a multiple, which they thought was 2.4X. So they thought that, uh, you know, an achievable sales sale price was two and a half times the net profit for, for the year. So I was like, well, look, you, again, you guys know more than me. So if you say 2.4, it's 2.4. I, I, I didn't question it because like, I never do. 
um, when people have done more than me. And then we took it to market. We had uh, quite a lot of interest quite fast. One buyer, uh, this venture capital firm from America, started due diligence. Then that fell through because he wanted to go in a different direction. Then we got the offer from uh, the private equity firm who bought us, a firm called Highview from, from America. And they actually over-offered. They offered us 2.6, uh, which we, you know, I, I was like, wow, fantastic. Yeah, brilliant. Because it was, it was exactly what he wanted. When they, and they said that multiple times through the process. They were like, this is exactly what we want. Perfect size, perfect team size, great numbers, great track record. And I take it like companies in America that are buying these type of online educational businesses at this moment in time are looking to wrap companies together so they can float them on the stock exchange and that's how they make their money, right? Yeah, so the PE firm that bought us, they are rolling up a few different trading education companies right now. They're in the process of buying another. Uh, trading education, same as us, but a totally different product, totally different kind of angle to, to what we do. They're also looking at buying a uh, prop firm, like a funding company. I think they already own a financial advisory firm as well. So they're bringing everything together to create like one big company with everything in essentially and their goal is to sell it on so, so the reason why i wanted you to explain that is because people pe some people could think on this podcast that their company's too small to sell but you'll often find that another company will want to acquire you because they want a part they want you as a part of their company like you know there's a lot of knowledge within my business that is that to another firm in reputation management or this that, the other that, that maybe they're like oh we can we can acquire content because we can bolt that onto that and then that's that's going to make our business when we float it on the stock exchange or go public more money. So that's why people will consider buying s smaller businesses because even though it's multiple, you're talking about multiple millions, you're not talking about a business that's been bought for tens of millions here. So like, what kind of revenue numbers, uh, and I know you're probably going to say any, but what kind of revenue numbers do people, sh should they be at before they become acquirable? Would you hate me if I said any? No, I, I, I just, I'll just del delve into it, though. Just delve into it. I know, I know. Well, look, there's two types of buyers of businesses. Number one, financial. Number two, strategic. Financial buyers yeah. are, let's, let's take an easy example, like a, a, a pension fund. They don't want to build stuff. They don't want to tinker with things. They just want to buy an asset that makes a good ROI and put it in their fund. You know, so it's using like a, an investor. They want to buy your business, leave it alone and get the cash flow from it as financial strategic is more like a high view that bought us because they wanted us for our long-term track record um, our kind of social media accounts and following great team the thing they loved the most was was the team um, and they, they said that again to me recently they said like man the team is like a moat because the coaches are so good good kind people that have a lot of uh, specialist knowledge and skill and the sales team are great. The sales team manager is phenomenal. So the team really is their number one asset, right? So they may go and buy another company with a rubbish team and be like, right, well, listen, we don't need the team. We just want the product. And let's just put that product back over here now. With this team, yeah. With that team. And then they might say, well, we don't have any funding sources over here. So let's buy a funding, you know, a prop firm. And again, get rid of the team, maybe get rid of the marketing, turn all of that off and just put the firm in this company. you know. So now you're building like a mega company, which is their hope. That's what they're doing right now. They're building a, the perfect company almost, and then they're going to sell it on. And I kind of like what private equity do 
in this manner because they don't take the risk of starting a brand new business and hoping it's going to work and building it across three, four, five years. They're just like, that team is good, I'll buy that. That product is great, right, I'll, I'll buy that and put that in there. And, oh, and we're, we're missing this, so let's just buy that and put it in. You know, so it's pretty cool. So that, that they take, excuse the pun, the higher view of all these businesses and they can see from looking at it from a different perspective that you can use this piece and this piece and put it together and make something better, you know, and that's why they'll give you a decent multiple on an exit that, you know, because they want to just bolt this bit to this bit. I want to step it back a touch because obviously what what you've achieved now and is phenomenal and, and I want to talk about what you invest and all that other stuff in later on down the track, but... Let's talk about getting the mindset right to even be able to do this. I really want to delve into this because we were at dinner the other day and you were telling me that, you know, you'd put together this kind of voice note the, to yourself telling you that you, you were doing well in life. And I think it's a pretty cool thing to do. I, I, I'm trying to do it myself. And I just want you to break down some of these little tools and tricks that you're implementing in your life that have allowed you to grow because it's the mindset piece that I constantly see you iterating all the time to get better and just talking to that voice note. God, yeah, I, I would not be here without these little mindset hacks that I use. Uh, but I think fundamentally, I think, man, I've been really lucky because ever, here's the thing, ever since I've been young, whatever I've wanted to do, no matter how small or how stupid, I've always believed that I could do it, just blindly, for some strange reason, believed that I could do it. And my parents have always just backed me. You know, if I was doing skateboarding, my parents are like, that's a great idea. Do, do that. Yeah, really well, well done. If I was doing graffiti even, which is, is, is illegal, my dad was like, look, if you're going to do it, do it well and don't get caught, you know? And he was like, I don't want you to do it. I'm not encouraging it, but well done. And I was showing pictures and stuff and he'd be like, that's good. At least you're good, you know, that kind of thing. And then music, thankfully, that is, you know, that's legal. They loved that, supported that. My dad would like drive me to shows and actually pay for hotels and stuff when they wouldn't pay for a hotel and just, they wanted me to do well and succeed. And they, whatever stupid idea I had they were always like well done good yeah go do it do it well all this shit so I think that really helped I think you know what about the what about the people though that don't have the people surrounded them with the positive reinforcement like your parents have always given you I mean how do they get their mind right so they can operate because it, I find that what holds a lot of people back is doubt like this 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 voice note and I want to dig into that because it's so important because just speak in this voice note because this voice note, I believe, eliminates doubt on a subconscious level. For sure. Before I kind of tell you about that, I heard Alex Homozzi say something recently. He said, um, you've got to build like undeniable proof, right? Which is helpful if you're kind of already on the journey, like I know what we are. But I think for people that are new, you've just got to, I know this sounds so cheesy, but You've got to believe in yourself, man. You know, even if you fool yourself into believing, because that's what I do. I, I fool myself into believing. Like the, the voice note thing that I told you about. So I've been doing this for the last probably two years, maybe two and a half years. And what I do, I write affirmations of what I want in the future. And this is something that I actually learned it from one of my mentors, Sam Ovens. Right, so Sam Ovens had this document that he called an alchemy of self. Have you ever heard of that? I've I've seen the document, but I w I'd like you to explain it. Yeah. So Sam's alchemy of self document. It was in like two or three parts. So the first part was your affirmations of where are you going. You know, so things like 
I am building one of the world's best trading education companies. You know, I care about my team. I care about our customers. I'm doing this for the right reasons. I, when I make money, I'm going to give back. I'm going to help my mum and dad. I'm going to give to charity. I'm going to help other people. So you'd write that on there. You know, you'd write, um, I deserve to have a supportive girlfriend who loves me and has my back and blah, 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 blah. Affirmations, right? That was one part. Another part was these squares where it's all of your goals, past and future, that you've achieved. So I think when I first made my alchemy of self, I'd only done a few things. I'd maybe scaled to 50k a month. I'd bought my first investment property. I rented my first little apartment in Manchester, which was a big thing for me to just move out my parents and have a nice little one-bed apartment. So I put that on there as like a, a goal as well. And you plan your future goals as well. So you would put this little, you know, rectangle black square underneath it. You would write first million dollar year. Then you'd have one move to Dubai. Then you'd have like, you know, um, sold my company to a private equity firm. So you do your future things, right? So you can always see what you've done and where you're going in order of achieving what you want to achieve step by step. And I always use that. And I always look at the next three or four or five things in order. You know, so one of my last ones was sell the business to a private equity firm. One of my next ones was to start a YouTube channel, right? Because I love making videos and I want I wanted to give value back and help people. So that was one of my squares. One of my squares is actually 100,000 YouTube subscribers, right? Another one is to buy my dream house in England and, you know, be featured in, this is a cheesy one, but be featured in like Forbes, have a Forbes article and stuff, blah, blah, blah. So that's another part of it. And the third part of the Alchemy of Self document is you write down who you need to be to achieve all your dreams. So you would write like, you know, Frankie dresses exceptionally well and shows himself and others self-respect. Frankie wakes up at seven in the morning, goes straight to the gym, does his work, sees his family, has dinner with his wife and children, blah, blah, blah. You know, so you plan out who you, your future self needs to be to make all this stuff a reality. Because here's the thing, for most people, you're not the kind of person yet who's, who's, you know, you're not the right person to make the money yet. So, but who does that person need to be? Do you need to, you know, dress better? Do you need to go out to networking events? Do you need to, do you need to live in a different place? Yeah, do you need to live in a different place? That's a massive one. Thank you for, for sharing that, Matt. That's a massive one. Do you need to change country? Do you need to change city? Um, you know, do you need to read these books? Do you need to start investing your money? Do you need to start this business? You know, and you've got a business, you need to hire a team, whatever it is. Right? So that's the third part. Who do you need to be? Now, I took it one step further. I can't remember what, I actually genuinely can't remember whether someone told me to do this or I just made it up. But what I did was I recorded myself uh, reading my my affirmations and I set it as my alarm clock. I put some like gay music underneath it, you know, like inspiring music. It's so cringy. But, you know, my alarm clock in the morning goes off and it's me talking to myself. And I'm like, Will, you're doing really well at the moment. You, know, you sold your business. Most people will never do that in their life. You're a multimillionaire. You've got this property portfolio. And next, you're going to do this. And then when you've done that, you're going to be able to do that. And you're going to be able to do this great thing for this person. You can start the charity that you've always wanted to start. Eventually, you're going to get featured in Forbes or whatever. You know, so keep doing what you're doing. Get up today, work hard, stay focused, go gym, just blah, blah, blah. And I like, my future self speaks to my 
present self. And you feel so good when you've listened to it. You're like, oh my, this is awesome. Let's go. And you're st- and you're priming your day with this. This, yeah. this, this is what this is what um, this is what I had to ask you this twice because I'm like, tell me that again because <laughs> it, it's true, isn't it? Because I I didn't realize this, but I was I was sat on a beach meditating in the Gold Coast, probably I'd say 13 months ago now, probably about 12, 13 months ago, and I was having this conversation with my myself in this meditation like what do you want Frankie what do you want okay and and it was like asking future Frankie okay like Frankie if you want to achieve this and you say you want to be the 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 world's top educational podcaster like who do you need to become where do you need to be is can you achieve that in the country that you're in can you achieve that in the Gold Coast and when I had this had this uh, this and then when I asked myself these questions internally my gut was like now you've asked a question that you this undeniable truth that's within you that you can't deny mate and i and and then i went to dinner with keller atzinez and her partner jay and we were sat in brisbane and i'm and i'm asking because obviously she's like one of the chief well she is the 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 best she's 100 million followers across social media sold a company for 200 300 400 million um obviously she got 200 her, her business partner got 200 i'm sat there at the table and i said to her I'm, I'm telling her my, my my goals and my vision from this podcast I've put together. I'm asking her if she'll come on the podcast, and she, she says to me, "Are you asking for my honest feedback?" And I'm like, "Yeah, well, yeah, I am." And she goes, she starts hammering me on all. She says, "Like, who have you got to become? Like, how are you going to do it? Like, this is you're not you're not doing this right. This is where you've got to be. This is and she was literally telling me, and I've never told her this. She was telling me in my reality exactly what I was telling myself in my own head in that beach moment and I was like fuck I've got to leave Australia I have to leave Australia and that to me was the most painful thing but the reason I'm telling you all this is because sometimes the thing that you have to do the thing that sounds cheesy to Will Crawden the voice note the thing that sounded fucking big to me leave Australia after eight years they're the things that have to do because they're the things that make you they're the things that allow you to grow that's the that's the you can't deny your gut when you feel this moment. So every day, your voice note is telling you and reinforcing where you're going, what what you've already done, and you're waking up and you're feeling this energy about your day because you, you're being driven towards what you truly want. And one more thing I want to say is this. I didn't realise that you can tell yourself two stories and both come true. You can tell yourself every day about the stuff that you don't want and guess what, you'll get it. Or you can tell yourself every day about the stuff that you do want and guess what, you'll get that too. So be very, very specific and measured and calculated in the story that you tell yourself every day like Will's doing because it works. Like I could I could show you in, in this in this planning document that I've, for this podcast in the pages before, it's just me taking gratitude for things that haven't even happened in my reality yet but I know that are going to happen in my future. And I think that's what you're doing in that voice note when you're talking about YouTube, when you're talking about this and that and the other. Without a doubt. I mean, there's kind of two parts to it. So like you just shared, I think a lot of people are going through life and they're almost in a car without an end destination. And they're just driving and they're a bit over here, a bit over there, but there's no place that they're actually going. There's no thing that they want to achieve. And even if there is, a lot of the time it's not specific enough. Like start a business and become a millionaire is not specific enough. And it's good. It's a good start. 
So how specific do you do, just break down one one of your goals and how ultra specific you had to get in order to close the gap between not having it and attaining it and then closing it? There's one thing that I didn't share, actually. So to answer that question, in the Alchemy of Self document, you do a vision board, right? So you put the pictures on there, dream house, dream apartment, dream girl, friend, boyfriend, whatever, dream, you know, country, all that stuff. And that, I think, is is a just one aspect of the specificity of that document, you know, because it's a, it's a very specific, detailed document. And just to kind of share a story, you might have seen this on my Instagram story, but about a year and a half ago, I updated the vision board. Maybe it might have been slightly longer, two years when I when I moved to Dubai. And when I moved to Dubai, you know, I was renting an apartment. I built the vision board, and I was on Google, like looking for pictures of what I deemed my dream apartment. You know, dream inside balcony, the view, the location, all that stuff. And I put that in, in the Alchemy of Self document. And I recently uh, was trying to buy an apartment here in Dubai. And um, the the estate agent that was trying to help me find one sent me a listing one day. And the one of the images on the listing was the exact same one on my vision board from two years ago. It's mental, isn't it? When I saw it, it was the exact same one, you know. And I was like, that's the one that I wanted. That's the one that I put on the vision board. It, it was... So the exact same picture, same. It was like a balcony view of the city and the sunset and, and all this cool stuff. When I saw that picture, I said, I'll take it. I don't even want to view it. I'll take it and I'll pay cash the exact asking price right now. And I bought it, it, it immediately. And it's my dream apartment. And you just, you literally just, literally just walked over from there now, isn't it? How, yeah. how, how, does, it, how does it feel? Because like, it's so easy for me and you to say that it's true because we've seen it in our reality. What I want is like, how can we find a way to articulate how true it is to someone listening to this that perhaps hasn't seen this in their reality? Yeah. Some people might disagree with this advice, but when you start, set small achievable goals, right? So if you were slightly overweight, set one of your goals to get a six pack and fucking get one, you know? Or set your goal to start an online business of some kind and just make two grand a month, five grand a month, something small. I'm not a fan of setting these really massive, stupid, well, maybe not stupid, that's a judgment on my part, but setting these really massive goals when you're right at the start. You know, if you live where I lived when I was younger with my parents in the spare room making a grand a month, it's not wise to say, I'm going to be on a private jet in six months and I'm going to have a 10 million net worth. That's fucking stupid. Could it happen? Yes. But it's monstrously unlikely. So, you know, some of my first goals, like I told you earlier, one of my goals was to rent a one-bedroom apartment in Manchester and live on my own. And the apartment was like £850 a month rent. It's a small goal, but was very significant to me. And when I achieved it, I could put it on my alchemy of self-document, you know, um, and... It's like, oh, I've achieved that. So you just achieved a goal. Just achieve any goal that you can. Just put one of your goals to run for 30 minutes outside, you know, and, and just tick it off your goals list. It's the same with the voice thing as well. So I've updated the voice thing three times now. So when I first made it, whenever I made it, a year and a half ago, whenever I made it, it had all the goals that I've achieved now, you know, and then I remade it maybe nine months 
12 months later, one of the second ones was to sell the business and buy my dream apartment with cash. I've actually got to redo it now because um, I've done those. So I'll kind of put those in as like, right, Will, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. Now you're going to do this, do this, do this, you know. So just for anyone that's watching this and they're maybe just starting, just set small achievable goals, you know, and just ed just edge them up and you're going to build momentum. Yeah. Because as you keep ticking those boxes off, you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm doing it. I'm building my dream life. Because it, what it what I found what I found is it's very easy to say that your goals are too small when you get to the, or were too small when you get to the goal. But also remember, if you're being kind to yourself, that the goal was massive when you started. Like when I started the podcast, my goal was to become, you know, one of the top education podcasts in Australia, and 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 be ranked up there. And when I got ranked at number uh, like top episode in education this week one week when I released the uh, the Adrian Portelli episode and I was second under Jordan Peterson I realised ah the goal was too small but it was it, it, it was still massive at the time when I released that goal into my mind and into my my thought process and uh, attacked it and went after it you know it, it, it don't be under any illusion that when you get to the goal you'll think that they're too small but just have gratitude in actually getting to the goal in the first place and then set new ones rather than judging yourself for having too small a goal. Because I know when I was talking to you off camera that we've spoken and you've gone, oh, mate, my goals are too small. Like, I should have set them bigger. Yeah, but if you'd set them bigger, they would have been, wouldn't have been the manageable goals that they, they are and the attainable goals. So what, so what I've noticed that you've done in your life is you've gone, well, I'll achieve the five houses before I set the goal for to achieve ten. Do you know what I'm saying? So this it's measurable, isn't it? Whereas a lot of people are going, no, I want the the mansion, the boat, the play, the private plane, the, the Iman Gadzi lifestyle, whatever, the YouTube channel. But they want all that, but they're but they're still working at uh, they're still working a thirty grand a year job in the UK. That that's where that that's what you're saying, isn't it? Essentially, without doubt. And here's the thing: it, you won't believe me when I say this until you are, you know fairly rich and successful and stuff but the more money you get the less you want to buy stupid shit anyway you know like when you're broke you want a mansion and a lambo and to fly private and have five fucking stupid watches and all this stupid shit some penthouse apartment that you don't need and all this stupid stuff but then when you get money you're like you just don't want it anymore you know you're like why I mean, for me, for me at least, I was literally writing in my journal yesterday evening, just kind of writing down what I've got now. And because look, I've, even to this day, I've got a uh, fear that, I mean, I'm just so terrified of ever being broke again, because being broke is very painful, man. Very, I've, very painful. I've been broke twice. It's fucking horrible. It's, it's really painful. They say money doesn't buy happiness. I, I, I think that it does, man. It, Maybe not pure, you know, no one's happy all the time. Whether you're rich or poor, no one's happy all the time. Money buys you time. Time allows you to work on yourself. And if you work on yourself whilst you have the time and the money to that allow you the time to do it, when you, when you, if you actually spend that time doing the internal work rather than buying Balmain or some other loud brand that looks obnoxious, if you spend the time working on yourself, you'll find the happiness that you so require or enough peace to take you along that trail. That's the truth. Without a doubt. I mean, dude, when I see someone wearing like a Balmain t-shirt, 
the first thought that goes through my mind is, what what's wrong with you? You know, like, you must have probably been poor one day and now you're rich and you're trying to fill the void or maybe you're not rich yet and you're trying to push yourself there. You know, when I see designer fancy stuff, I think, I don't think, wow, that's sick. I think, what's wrong? What, what, what's the problem? What, what void are you trying to fill with that? Because, because um, no, because no truly wealthy people wear really loud brands. Because I, because I've been around truly wealthy people's homes and stuff. Like that. They haven't got any. They, they don't have loud stuff. People that wear loud stuff are more new, newer money. They didn't have a lot when they were a child. They've, they've not addressed some of the dark areas that they should have addressed. That's what I've found from my experience. Yeah, I mean, m- maybe I'm just a rich weirdo, but I just don't feel the need to buy all this excessive. What 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 do you class as rich to you? Good question, man. Well, <laughs> so through building my business, I always had a few just key goals, and I thought. I mean, when it came to selling the business, right, there were just two or three things that I wanted to achieve first. And then I was like, right, when I've done those, I'll sell the business and go on. Whatever. That was to have two and a half million pounds worth of real estate bought outright with cash, to have at least a million pounds liquid after tax in the bank, and um, to own my dream apartment outright in, in Dubai with cash, no debt. So that, to me was what rich was in your estimation one other thing as well ten thousand a month passive income coming from all the assets that i owned those were the four things and i thought when i've got those four things i'm set for life that was my set for life thing yeah plan. Uh, and i achieved those kind of just recently you know i sold a business like six weeks ago just bought my dream apartment three four months ago so now i've got those things i feel I don't feel, I feel like I've got more to do and, and more to build. I'm in kind of a different chapter now where it's less about money and more about fun and fulfillment. How, how, do you, how do you pivot from rich to wealthy in your estimation? Wealthy to me means that you can stop working and retire at any time. If, if you can stop working forever right now and survive with no more income, you're wealthy. That's my definition of, of, of wealth. Right. And would you say that you're now in the position where you could do that? Yeah, 100%. Is, is, is that because you've lived your life by design, though? So you've designed your life, um, you know, you, it would be a bit different if you wanted to go out and buy obnoxious, overpriced stuff every week. Do you know what I'm saying? That, that's different. But if you set your lifestyle to the standard that you want to keep and, and it's obtainable, what you're saying is that you can reverse engineer what rich is to you. And fi- find you rich, essentially. Because rich rich is an objective statement. Wealthy is an objective statement. It's about finding what rich and what wealthy means to you and then obtaining first rich and then second, probably wealthy. And wealthy, wealthy the difference between rich and wealthy, what, is what you're saying is, do I have to work again and can I s- sustain the lifestyle that I want to sustain that makes me feel rich for the rest of my life? And if that, then that's putting them both together, right? Exactly, exactly. And I actually, I've got a friend, um, obviously won't, won't name him, but he's got more than than anybody ever needs, you know, multiple, I mean, you know, tens of millions of dollars. 
Um, no, no, not really many assets, but but a hell of a lot of cash. Some great businesses. One that a tech company that he's kind of preparing to sell. It'll sell for a lot of money. And he once said this thing to me. He was like, he said something like, you know, oh, I don't, I don't kind of respect people that get everything that they want and stop. You know, I like to think I'll work forever and I'll. He actually, I think he actually said I'll never be happy. You know. I always will do more and always build more. Guess, guess what you get if you keep telling yourself you'll never be happy. You get exactly what you speak into existence. Yeah, and um, I mean, look, I I try not to judge anybody. It's, I, I, it's My life is my life. As long as I'm happy and fulfilled, that's, you know, and my kind of friends and family are, that's all good. So I, I don't judge anyone. If you want to go forever, go forever. If you want to stop, stop. Do something in the middle, do something in the middle. I don't care. As long as you're happy. But that was like... When I heard him say that, I was like, I don't want that. I don't want that. And I've always been deadly clear what I wanted. Two and a half million pounds worth of property bought outright. Used a million in cash. All my dream apartment. No debt. Very, very, very low outgoings. Yeah. Right? And enough cash and passive income to sustain it, you know, if I want to stop. Let's, let's break down this property portfolio of yours because, like, Property's been a big thing in terms of you preserving capital over a long period of time now. And it's, 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 you've earned your cash and education. You've always parked it in property, specific types of property that you, do, that you know best. Why? What made you want to buy properties in cash? Because there's going to be so many people listening to this going, why are you buying properties in cash? I thought the Grant Cardone's telling me to go get leverage, get juicy, take two and a half million, turn it into... 10, 15 million of, of real estate, which you, which you can do. Why have you approached it as always wanting to buy it cash? Well, look, before I answer that, let me tell you why I buy real estate. And the reason I buy real estate is because it's so illiquid, you know, so I can like almost lock my cash away and I can't fuck with it. Yeah. I can't waste it. I can't, I say can't lose it. I mean, property can go up and down and whatever. So there's no such thing as can't lose it and anything can be lost. But uh, real estate's pretty safe, you know, and it, you know. So I wouldn't trust myself. If I had two and a half million in an index fund, I wouldn't trust myself because I could liquidate it with a moment's notice and hit the button. I wanted to lock that money away and just get it get it out over there. And obviously the better you can rent it out, which is a big benefit, it goes up in value, which is a big benefit. But I wanted to get the money out of my bank account so I couldn't do any stupid shit with it. So that's why real estate primarily and to answer the question that you uh, you just asked why do i buy with cash well the way that i wanted to engineer my wealth lifestyle you know so what i just told you is wealthy to me i didn't want to have debt you know because debt is risk whatever way you could look at it debt is risk you do not own your property the bank owns your property if you disagree with that don't pay three mortgage payments and see what happens. You know, if you don't own with cash, you do not own the asset. Now, look, we could go down the rabbit hole of like, well, even if you do own it with cash, you kind of don't own it. It can be taken from you by the government, blah, 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 blah. But like no debt to me is true wealth. And could I, you know, leverage the portfolio and actually have 10 mil and leverage it by 75% and get more rent? Well, yeah, I could. Yeah, but I don't need it. And I don't, I just, I just don't need it. Because you've worked out 
what you needed in the first place. Because I worked out what I needed for me in the first place. Yeah. So the steps that you would take now for give give this listeners some steps that you would take now. So you're you, you might they're either they're either in a job and they want to start a business or this that, and the other uh, or they've got a business and they're doing quite well. But the steps that you would take in order to to map out exactly what they wanted and how to get what they wanted. For sure. So let's start with someone who kind of has a job and you want to build a business. Well, you need to decide what kind of business. Obviously, I'm, I'm biased. So I would suggest starting an information business because it's very, very easy to start, requires very low capital. You can scale it very far, very fast. Um, and in, in, in my opinion and what I've learned and done myself, an information business is the fastest and easiest way to make a lot of money, essentially. So I am biased, but I would suggest... Either if you have a skill or a talent, teach it. Uh, or if you don't have a skill or a talent or a high you know, a skill, learn one. And again, just get to number two or three on the one to ten scale like we talked about earlier. You don't need to be Tiger Woods to teach golf. You don't need to be, I don't know, um, some famous musician. You don't have to be Ed Sheeran to teach music. You know? You've just got to be a two or a three or a four and then teach the zeros and the ones. So if you have a skill or a talent, teach it. If you don't, learn one and then teach it. Um, that that would kind of be my recommendation over on that side. But again, I'm biased. There's loads of businesses that you could start. I mean, an agency is a great business to, to start. Very, very easy to make two, three, five K a month by running someone's YouTube ads or, you know, managing the back end of a business, stuff like that. So I'd say find a vehicle. The vehicle is, is, is the most important. If you're in the wrong vehicle, you're really, really going to struggle but it can be done still. And if you're in the right vehicle, you can do it so fast and, and, and so easy, kind of like I did. Obviously, to me, it, it happened kind of for, fortuitously, uh, but, but but nonetheless. And I would just get very clear on, on what you want, where, where are you going? Just what's the next one or two or three things? You know, get to 10K a month, maybe, goal number one. Goal number two, save up, buy just a little investment property, 75 grand, 100 grand, you know, buy that, rent it out. Great, you've started your property business. Build up cash reserves, save up a hundred grand in cash. You know, maybe maybe more, maybe less. Pay off pay off your mortgage if if you have a mortgage. That that kind of thing. Get rid of the the debt. Obviously, you know it's very clear now. I'm one hundred percent against debt. You know, so that would be what I'd do on the uh, if you've got a job and you want to start making real money and build a business side. And if you've already got a business. Um, I had a call with a guy yesterday who's got a fairly successful real estate sourcing company. He does about 25K a month net, uh, but he wants to grow it a lot further. And he's like, I don't know what to do. An hour call, we worked out that he had no sales process, no way to kind of put a dollar in, get a dollar, a dollar in, two, three, four dollars out. That he came on as a client. I'm going to help him build that sales process out so they can control customer acquisition and work on the unit economic side of things, the pricing side of things. Pricing's a massive lever that a lot of businesses don't play with. You know, it's repairing side, whether it's high ticket side, whether it's kind of adding on a back end or upsell or a downsell, just engineering and stretching the lifetime value of the customer. Uh, I'd, uh, a lot of businesses aren't architecting that proper t- properly or at all. Back end, most businesses aren't focusing on that, you know, in the right amount of time and effort or at all. 
people are running sales processes that are a complete fucking mess. Like this guy was spending money on ads, not tracking lead cost, not tracking cold cost, no idea what the AOV was, blah, blah, blah. Just a complete mess, but we're going to solve that. So that kind of thing, just architect your business for scale and, and know where you want to scale to. And then, uh, like you always say, reverse engineer it. Yeah, I, I, I love the, I love, I want to dive into some of those points because we're talking about, you know, knowing these levers to pull in the business um, that kind of increase not only not only revenue but profitability. So what have you found are some of these levers? Now, obviously, you're looking at these businesses, you're finding that most businesses don't have a proven sales process. I believe you're finding most businesses aren't tracking the numbers, right? I mean, I've been guilty of this in the past, right, where I would drive ads and... I didn't know exactly how much the lead was costing at the time and this, that, and the other, but I realized that you can't scale without knowing that number. Now, when you talk about hiring teams and putting people on this, that, and the other, if you don't know that how much every call booked is costing you, how can you know if the margin is right and how much to increase the prices to make the margin right so you've got something? So kind of walk me through um, the synopsis of breaking down a business from the point of view is like what what would you get people to check first and how would they go about fixing it for sure so of all the business owners that i've worked with there's usually one of three things or all three things that are wrong so either pricing is out of balance usually too low or second to that uh, they don't have a back end or a way to stretch the lifetime value of a customer so yep. that they can scale or number three, it's a sales process issue. So the sales process is either built incorrectly or they're not tracking it and they could scale, but they don't know that they can scale or something's wrong and they don't know it's wrong. There's a bottleneck, blah, blah, blah. So it's usually one of those two things, pricing, back-end to stretch LTV, or just a sales process that's not built well enough or correctly. So, I mean, God, where, where to start? With Let's start with the sales process. Yeah, we, we can start with the sales process. So again, I mean, let's... Take the guy that I spoke to yesterday evening that just became a client. So right now his business is, he sources um, buy, uh, vanilla Vitalettes in England and finds a buyer to sell them to for like five grand. Or, you know, the price depends on the property itself. Yep. So his problem was, uh, he was, I mean, essentially he got on a call and said, Will, how do I scale? And I was like, well, what's the ball neck? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, all right, here we fucking go. All right, pull, pull up your tracking and let's see where the bottleneck is. He was like, tracking? What do you mean? I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's going to be a long call. So I was like, right, go in your goddamn Facebook ads. Tell me what the cost of a lead is. Right, and I, I think it was like eight pounds. Right. So it's eight pounds for a lead. Well, for every hundred leads, right, how many of those leads that you've bought purchase from you? Because I don't know, and I actually still don't know that number, but let's just say it's one, right? So it's eight pounds a lead. So for 10 leads, that's 80. For um, 100 leads, that's 800 pounds. So for every 100 leads, it costs him 800 pounds. Let's say one of them buys for five grand. Well, you've now got a money printing machine where you put 800 in the front, you buy 100 leads, and you make a five grand sale. So you've made a net profit before staff and, and blah, 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 and deliverables of 4,200, you've got a money printing machine. So don't spend 800, spend, let's spend a grand and a half next and see what happens. See if it scales. Yeah, so let's see if it scales. And if you can also 
whilst you're scaling the spend and making sure that the numbers work out, if you can also improve the sales process and the closing ability, now you really have something tangible, right? Exactly. So now an- another problem that he had was he had like a 25-question survey before a call. So that's a massive bottleneck and it's just unnecessary. So what can we do? We can reduce friction there and that's going to allow more people to book a call and that would almost certainly get you more sales. So now we can scale further and get more leads. If we're still converting at the same amount, before we make any adjustments, we can now scale the revenue as well. Then we can focus on the opt-in. And his, I think it was the opt-in, was just shit. Shit copy. Too long. Links everywhere that pull prospects off in different directions and actually stop them from opting in, which is stupid, but you don't know what you don't know. You know, that's my job to, to help the guy. Um, build a build in a VSL as well to warm people up before the sales call or the webinar or whatever way you want to kind of convert them. And um, yeah, reduce the friction on the survey to get more volume through. And then maybe I'm just kind of making things up here, but work on the closing side of things to close more deals. And then just by doing those things, which is going to take us four weeks, six weeks, we can take that 25 profit he's making now. I mean, God, we could get that to 75K, 100K beyond, no problem. Probably from a little bit more spend and closing more leads that are already coming through because your process is better. Talk to me about the lever of price and how you pull it to get the most out of the, uh, of, of, of the price that you can charge, but also deliver the most value to the client. Yeah, look, I mean, it, you, you've got a price based on value. You can't just, I mean, you know, if your product or service makes people a grand, you can't charge 10, you know, <laughs> use common sense here. But the way that I usually price things is I always say to my clients, how much are you going to make people? Let's say it's money-based. Not everything is money-based, right? But, but if it is money-based, how much are you going to make them in 12 months? If that is 50 grand, you should be charging at least five, Right. So they pay you five, they make 50. That's a great value proposition. You can even charge so, 10. So, so 10% basically is your kind of first margin that you go to? I go to 10 to 20% depending on the offer deliverables, costs, margin, all, all that stuff. But yeah, usually 10 to 20% of the value. If it's something more like fitness, for example, then again, it depends on the product and the deliverables and stuff. But let's say it's like lose, I don't know, 20 pounds in, in eight weeks. You've kind of got to look at the avatar. Who is this for? Is it for normal everyday people? Is it for entrepreneurs? Blah, blah, blah. If it's for entrepreneurs, then how is having way better health going to impact your business? What money is that going to make you? Well, if that makes you 50 grand, you know, when you can kind of quantify that over a test sample size, then you can charge appropriately for it, you know, so. And you, 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 you're of the belief from what you've done that, high ticket is the best way to go because you get better clients, you get better profit margins for you, you require less staff to scale it, you require less ads, you require less sales to cover all the ad spend. Like everything's everything's better with your first kind of like cash flow businesses exitable for exitable for a few million if you stay high ticket, isn't it? And then and then and then that then that first lump of cash that you get from an exit you can then um, you can then go and build software. You can go and build all this e-com stuff. You can go and build all this other stuff. But the, it's, it's about getting that. It's about maximizing the cash you can get through the door at the front end whilst you're building it. And then also have something that's exitable for a, for a nice little mobile pool 
and getting a big the chunk of cash that you want before you go and start doing all the software, e-com and everything else that other people suggest, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to price, it's basically, it just rests on unit economics, you know? So if you want to run paid ads to scale, then it's going to cost you a certain amount for a lead and for a booked call and for a taken call, you know, your customer acquisition is going to be what it's going to be. You know, you can influence it a bit through, you know, if your opt-in is very good, your VSM is very good, your survey is just right, and you're a very good closer, then obviously it's going to be more profitable. And if that stuff is not as good, it's going to be less profitable. So you can influence the cost per sale. Well, let's say your cost per sale is $2,000 for a program that you're selling. Well, you better be charging more than $2,000 or else you're wasting your time. You're going to break even, right? So... You need to test pricing. No one really knows what price is right for the market. You've got to test it. Try two and a half and take 50 calls. What happens? Try three, three and a half. Take 50 calls. What happens? How often are you increasing prices and by what margin are you increasing prices each time? Yeah, so in the uh, e-learning company that I just sold, when we moved to a call funnel, we were charging £2,800. We kept it there for about five months. Then we moved to £3,800 as a test. And we were very worried. Like, sales team manager was like, this is bad. This is not, we're going to lose. No one's going to buy. It's all going to fall apart. Nothing changed. We just made more money. Same close rate, same costs, just a bit more net profit. We're like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. So let's stay here for now. Then we stayed there for about four or five months. Then we went from 3.8 to 4.8. Same again. This is not going to work. We're nervous about it. Closers are nervous about it. Nothing changes. We just, well, in fact, two things change. Number one, we make more money. Number two, support tickets go down. There's a higher quality of customer. So mm. It makes business easier and not, just more, better, easier, fun. Yeah. And then we, we did that all the way to 6.8. And um, I sold the company when we were charging 6.8 and they're still charging 6. So, so how much did you lose between 4.8 and 6.8 in terms of like what what how did the closing numbers change between those two prices yeah they, well, i mean that 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 two grand jump i imagine is where you lost most people right yeah yeah i mean look that there, there is certainly a difference between 2.8 and 6.8 without a doubt from 2.8 to 4.8 there's pretty much no difference same close rate same cost just more profit that there was no difference there from 2.8 to 4.8 when we went to 5.8 close rate came down a little bit but we were making more money, so it was fine. Yeah. 6.8, close rate came down. We were making just a little bit. We were, well, technically, we were making more money, which is why we stayed there. But you had better quality clients because you're now charging a rate that means that the, the people on the phone are better quality. Exactly. So literally every time, because we, we tracked everything. We tracked every single element of that business. We tracked it. Um, and every time we raised the price, the support team, their their, um, their cost will go down because they would work fewer hours because there was less support tickets in the inbox. Because the better the quality of customer, they complain less, they ask for less help, they just do the work, you know, and and get the result. So, so you're getting paid more essentially by action takers than you are by other people that will pay you less, but they'll kick cans, they'll they'll raise tickets, they'll want refunds, they'll do this, they'll do that. So, and you've got better referrals and better references from these clients as well. So you make more money. Yeah. You've got less overheads. You've got more margin and and everything, everything changes within the business. But, but so many people are teaching people in this world 
to go and acquire more low value customers. It's like it's like literally practically everywhere. You know, go and become a copywriter and sell copy. Go and work for yourself. Do this, do that. Go and rah rah rah. Whatever it is, it's like. It's, it, but I just see high ticket personally. If you're going to do a business, whether it's services and an agency model, or whether you're going to do information, both those models have to be high ticket. Otherwise, you kind of leaving yourself wide open to problems in my experience in my experience as well i mean i'll just never forget that poor client that i had with that bloody woman you know and i've I've seen it so many times i should have learned the lesson really because it's always the people that bargain on price ask for the longest payment plan that you can do you know they're just bad quality they are the red flags so run 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 me through the red flags of a non of, of the worst type of client, run me through the common red flags that they will show you on a sales call. Because if we can help the listeners get away from those red flag clients, and then there's more profitability in their business anyway. It's actionable. You know what? There is a little caveat. So I think one of my mentors actually said this to me recently. He said, um, there's a stage in business where you have to take any client just to get cash and operate and do stuff and grow. So there is a stage where, unfortunately, you have to deal with the bullshit, you know, and just make sales and take on clients because you're still learning as well. You're still building your product, finding product market fit, iterating, price testing and shit like that. So there's a stage where you have to take all clients to, to know what works. But when things are dialed in, if someone asks you for like, you know, what's the longest payment plan you can give me? Big red flag. If someone says, you know, I need to... I need to speak to three clients before I buy. I need you to send me proof before I buy. Big red flag. Big red flag. If someone's asking for like ex- excessive discounts or another big red flag is, what's your refund guarantee? If they're thinking refund before they've bought, they're going to come in with a refund mindset and attitude. They're good just waiting for a refund. They're waiting to ask for one. Mm. And, you, and yet you've got to pay the pay the payment processors fees for processing the payments you're already losing money you've got to have to custom support that person as well so you're going to lose money and you end up get, giving them back because you want to get them off you're going to end up giving a refund anyway because you want them off your books you don't you don't want that kind of headache so you can learn this ahead of the time by not taking on the client yeah Is there any more you can think of it's to be honest those are those are the main ones that that come to mind one other red flag is if someone buys and then instantly they're messaging you and asking questions and asking for more and saying, when's the coaching and what's this about? Oh, I need help with this and blah, blah, blah. That's a red flag. It can be it can be okay. You've just got to show the customer respect and hold their hand and do your best. But if you work really, really hard, go over the top and you've over-delivered and they're still complaining, buy the client, just refund them. Just politely and respectfully just say, don't feel like you're a fit. No, no hard feelings. You know, I hope you've helped. I hope I've kind of helped you so far. I kind of don't feel like you're a right fit right now. You know, so I'm going to take you out of the program. I'm going to give you a full refund. You know, and kind of best of luck. I think that you should fire clients every year in your business, like or every every quarter. Just go through your, you know, because I think if you run the eighty twenty principle, Paleo principle on your business, you'll find out that, you know, that twenty percent of your clients bring eighty percent of your revenue anyway. Like and or or, or you know. 20% of your clients bring you 80% of your headaches as well. So it's like about it's about finding where this Pilato principle is in your business and using it and using that data as such, you know, where where 
where am I putting in 20% and getting 80% of my returns? Where am I, where, where are these 20% of people that are causing me problems and taking up 80% of my support staff time? And how do I fire these fuckers? Because these fuckers are costing me money and causing me headaches in the business. I think if you look at your business objectively like that, you, you can't help but get better. You know what I'm saying? And, and just so that they understand, because obviously you're, you're way bigger on tracking than I am. And I'm, trying to learn from people like yourself about how important tracking is and now I've got people running different ads for me and we're tracking it and we, we know the cost of a customer and all this stuff that's all I wasn't doing that before right not to that extent of what I had a rough idea but not to that extent right how important is tracking to you and kind of just really nail that home on tracking well here's the thing I the, the reason to track is actually to give you focus. It's focus that's the most important thing, right? And just awareness, focus and awareness. That is the the reason why you track is to get focus and, and, and awareness. Let me give you an example, right? So I've probably told you about this, but I've got this like big net worth spreadsheet that I update every two, three days. And it's got all my real estate and the, the current value. It's got all my bank accounts and exactly what cash is in there, payment processes, exactly what cash is, is sat in there, on and on, you know. Um, I've, I've actually still got a student loan. That's on there as, as one of the, the liabilities. I think it's the only liability now. Um, the reason that I, I mentioned that is because there's this big green box at the bottom. There's these two boxes, total cash and your, your net worth at the time. And just by being conscious of those, you get more control over them. You know, so one of my friends, Chris, he did this kind of experiment where he would never look at his cash. You know, if, if you said like, how much kind of total cash have you got? He's like, I don't know, maybe 1.2 million, some, some 900, I don't know, something like that. And he wanted to start investing it and, and building wealth. And I said to him, dude, you've, you've got to get clarity on this so that you know where you're going. Because right now you kind of don't know where you're at. You don't know where you're going. Do you need to fix anything? You don't know. So he just started uh, every single day at 12 p.m. He would just update his, his total cash and just watch it every day, you know, and watch it kind of go up a bit and go down a bit and then a big bill or sell a mastermind ticket and he goes up by 15 grand, blah, blah, blah. And you get a feel for like, as weird as it sounds, like what makes it go down that I can stop and avoid? What makes it go up that I can do more of and, and build, you know? So it so identifies the patterns that you need to fuck off and the patterns that you need to need to grow essentially yeah yeah and for the if you ever meet chris if, if we ever have dinner he can tell you about this himself but he's never grown his cash as fast as over the last three four months by just focusing on it every day so if you want to grow your cash focus on on your cash total if you want to lose weight well weigh yourself every day and keep a track of your weight what are you doing that makes your weight go up stop it what are you doing that makes your weight go down do more of it Weight, cash, revenue, you know, costs. Arguments in relationships. Yeah. Track them. Why not? Because if you know what you're going to argue about, you can preempt yourself by not saying dumb shit to make you argue, right? Dude, that, that's so true, man. I mean, um, I rarely argue with my girlfriend. We just more bicker about stuff. But we're very good at, when it happens, we both internalize it. And then we, we talk about it later in the day. Like we were arguing, not arguing, in the gym the other day. She was like, oh, your form is wrong when you fucking <laughs> exercise. I was like, 
all right, all right, show me how to do it. She was like, do this. And I, was like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it properly. And I got a bit pissed off. I was like, look, just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you go and run. I'm just going to do this, you know. But then later that day... <laughs> so normal, did it? Just fuck off, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then later that day, you know, it was like 4 or 5 p.m. And uh, we were in the kitchen and she was like, do you want to talk about the gym early? I was like, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm sorry I overreacted. And she was like, what caused it though? I was like, well, you know, I feel like you're disrespecting me when you pick me up on that stuff in the gym. If it was a PT, I'd be fine, but not you. She's like, okay, I won't do that again and let's get you a PT to fix it. That's tracking. That's like human tracking. Yeah. Now that ain't going to happen again. Yeah. Because we both know. Eliminated it. And we both know the cause and what I think incorrectly or, or, or whatever. So that's now not going to happen again through tracking and taking it seriously and observing it and solving it. And that's what you can do with your cash. That's what you can do with your revenue. That's what you can do with your weight, with your podcast, with your whatever. It's, 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 um, it's funny because tracking something I obviously know about a lot because we've been talking about it in business, but it's even like with this podcast and everything we were talking about, before the show it's like you know the, the things that I'm looking at now to decrease my margin of error and increase my margin of success rate compared to what I was looking at when I started and just went oh I'm pursuing the passion of having a podcast and I'm trying to help this many people it's like if you can just over time just get that one percent better and just learn off these people and learn off people like you and take Will's thing on tracking and take Keder at Cena's his fucking stuff on branding and learn this off this guy that's done 200 million. Do you know what I mean? It's like all these things can just be put together. But in order to do that, you've got to put yourself in the arena and be willing to learn without the ego because you have to, yeah, it's, it's, it's about having enough ego to drive you towards your goal but, but dissolving it enough to be able to take advice, I, I've found. But if there is like one piece of golden advice that you can just leave everyone in this audience where they can implement it today, Will, and move themselves dramatically further forward in their life and everything they want to achieve what would that be to you for sure so it's a it's a big question that you've lined me up for here but i think for me the thing that's had well the, the two key things that have had the absolute biggest life-changing impact for me is number one if you want to achieve something find someone who's done it and just pay them to show you how to do it and do exactly what they bloody tell you, right? Because you don't know what you don't know, and the only way to accurately get what you don't know, accurately get that knowledge, is find someone who's genuinely where you want to be and just pay them to tell you what to do. So that's number one. And number two, feeding on from that, is really reflect and plan for, for where you want to go in immense detail, and like we've just discussed, track along the way. Track your cash, track your net worth, your level of wealth, your progress in whatever area you're kind of building in. Health, track it. Build your own alchemy of self. Build your own alchemy of self. And by the way, if anybody kind of wants uh, a template of the alchemy of self, just make We'll, we'll put it below the podcast. Yeah, it? for sure. If anybody wants it, drop me a comment, let me know, and I'll kind of personally maybe um, send it out or whatever. We can put it in the description. But uh, yeah, those two things, if, if you do those two things, the chance of success is, is, is so high, so high. Yeah, man, I, I, I agree with you. I think the 
doing your own alchemy yourself and understanding what it is you want to, what goal you want to hit and why you want to hit it. But yeah, that's, that's the key point. Not just what you want, but actually ask yourself, why do I want that? Because that's one thing that's tripped me up on my path is like I wanted stuff, but then I realize I want that because I'm trying to prove something to myself or some other stuff that I've not, I've overlooked. And I think that's very important that we get clear of that. But thank you very much for your time, mate, and coming and dropping some knowledge on these people. And guys, do me a solid favor. Yeah, subscribe on every platform that you can. If you watch this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button for me. Support the podcast, share it, put it in people's ears that you believe it could also help. I appreciate every single one of you listening. And as always, I hope there's some actionable value in here that you can implement in your life today to take you that one step forward. Much love. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.